Hello and welcome to this episode of the Mother Kind Podcast with me, Zoe Blasky. This episode I'm chatting to the absolutely wonderful Susie Redding about all things self-care. Now before we turn off, this isn't about telling you to do an hour of yoga and to drink your greens every day. Susie and I chat about how to make self-care work for each of us as individuals and of course incredibly busy mums. We nourish ourselves with stillness, with relaxing activities, or in the absence of time for that, because let's be honest, sometimes that's pretty tricky too, isn't it? We can work with the breath. Susie's a mum of two herself. She is also a chartered psychologist specialising in wellbeing, stress management and self-care. She's a contributing editor for Psychology's magazine and the psychology expert for wellbeing brand Neom Organics, which is my absolute favourite candle brand. She is also incredibly wise and gentle and I really loved our chat and it really got me thinking about my own self-care practices and just how important it is as a mum that I keep myself topped up, not just doing this stuff when I'm already on the floor. Susie and I chat about when self-care becomes stressful, her own journey into self-care, mum guilt, and she shares loads of practical self-care tips. I learned that I could create amazing change not in just terms of physical health and looking good, but in terms of your mental health. And it was amazing how teaching someone to stand tall, that was incredibly empowering. So if you're feeling depleted, stressed or overwhelmed, then this episode is definitely for you. I hope you enjoy it and here it is. So Susie, welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me to your home to do this episode. I'm so excited to be here and I can't wait to hear what you've got to share with all the mums out there. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. It's a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you. So Susie, I think of you as the self-care mum. <laughs> Whenever I'm, you know, scrolling through your Instagram or reading your content, I, I really love this core message of self-care and could you just start off for us by defining what that means for you? Absolutely. I think as a concept we've all heard of the term now. A few years back that wasn't necessarily the case but we all know self-care is something that we should be engaging in. It's still poorly defined and there's a really good reason for that in that I think it needs to be a very personal approach. So for some people there are some particular activities they find particularly nourishing, but those activities for someone else might not float their boat. So as a general rule, I would define self-care as any life-giving activity that either restores, improves, or sustains your health. And in its simplest form, I think of it as nourishment. I think that's a pretty workable definition. And I think that's helpful too in that one glass of wine savoured at the end of the day that's self-care but if that one glass of wine turns into two to three to a late night then that's no longer self-care because it's not a nourishing act anymore yeah I think that's so important isn't it to remember that it's about the individual and I think you're right as well you know we're seeing this term more and more and I think you know what's always slightly concerning for me is when maybe it's dictated to us what that self-care might look like so I totally agree with you yes has to be different for each of us how do we then work out what what's right so how would I know what's right for me in that nourishment I think it comes down to it's got to be something that genuinely resonates with you as an individual so it's got to be tailored to your preferences your interests 
and your needs, but it's also got to be accessible. So there's no point saying to someone, you've got to go out and have an hour massage if that's not realistic, if it's too expensive or it's difficult to book the childcare, or sometimes those kind of activities can actually incur a lot of stress for mums because it's like, actually, I I don't want to be away for that long or I'm not sure logistically how it's all going to work. So it needs to be something that's achievable and within reach, within fingertips reach. That's Mm. really what I'm passionate about. Because you talk about micro moments of self-care and I just just love that, especially for mums. You're right. I mean, who really has got time to go and have a, you know, (laughs) hour and a half massage? If you can do it, if you can get there, go for it. But yeah, we need little bite-sized chunks of nourishment that we can literally dot through our day. That's how we make self-care practical and accessible and really effective too. Because when you look at the cumulative nature of stress, And the number of times that we're drawing in our willpower to be the kind of mum that we aspire to be, we need little deposits in the energy bank throughout our day so that we can just keep going and keep giving, don't we? Yeah, I love that. This idea stress accumulates through the day. Mm -hmm. We need to counter that with also accumulating moments of self-care I guess to get to equilibrium by the end of the day that's it so we don't end up on the floor by the end of the day yeah we've got to be topping ourselves up regularly Mm. yeah so how would a a mum work out then what those little micro moments could be throughout her day okay the way that I work is with a framework because I think having sort of a series of categories is helpful for organizing it in your head Mm. because sometimes you see these fantastic um images of like a hundred different self-care activities and you you look at that and there are some great ideas there but it's information overload but the way that I work with my clients is that I teach them it's called the vitality wheel and there are eight different spokes to that vitality wheel and basically each of those spokes represents a different way that we can nourish ourselves and activities might fall into a number of those different spokes but it's just a way of sort of organizing that information in your head so can I just take you through those eight Spokes. I love you too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the first one is movement and nutrition because we all know that exercise has a potent antidepressant effect and we all know that we've got to feed our brain so that we can think clearly. Okay. So that's the first spoke. Then there's sleep, rest, relaxation. The big breathing, one. The big <laughs> one. But that's why I've got all of those activities in there. It's not just sleep. Rest and relaxation and breathing well will also stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system. And when you stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system, it releases um, chemicals that mediate the stress hormones. Okay, so in the absence of good sleep, which we all know that as a mother, even when you do all the right things, there are periods of life where good sleep is just impossible. We relax, we nourish ourselves with stillness, with relaxing activities, or in the absence of time for that, because let's be honest, sometimes that's pretty tricky too, isn't it? We can work with the breath. So breathing is a really, really potent self-care activity, okay? And then briefly, just the other spokes, it's little mood-boosting activities like listening to a piece of music that you love or scent or zooming in on anything that you find uplifting, nature, yeah? It can be as simple as wearing an outfit that you love. That's a simple mood booster. And then moving on to the next spoke, it's about social connection. It's also about goals, about values, about channeling the environment that you live in, that you work in, that you commute in. You know, that has an impact on your well-being too. 
and that taps into the therapeutic benefits of nature. And then the last spoke of Vitality Wheel is looking at specific coping and stress management skills. So you can see how you can dip into those different aspects of the Vitality Wheel and in an instant there's something that can uplift, replenish. Yeah, I love that. And I think you're right. We do need a framework to put all this stuff in. Otherwise, I think it can become overwhelming. Yes. And of course, I know for me, you know, in those moments where I do feel depleted, I almost can't think what I need to make me feel better. Yes. Time and time again. And that's my experience. But so many people come to me saying, I need to do something, but I can't see the forest for the trees. It's, it's when you need it the most, that's when self-care gets tricky because we're either squeezed for time or energy, but also in that headspace of overwhelm, of burnout, of, of depletion, that's when we're least resourceful and creative to come up with these ideas. So that's why I urge everyone to get really proactive and based on that vitality will, where you've got the inspiration to think, okay, so what are the things that are interesting to me? And then you write down specific activities so that when you're in that moment of need, you're not having to try and generate it in your head. It's written down for you. You look at that and you think, what's accessible to me right now? What's going to really meet my needs in this moment? Because sometimes it's as simple as realizing that you haven't eaten for a stretch of time and you just need to have a nourishing snack. Or sometimes it's, okay, I need to, I need to connect with someone. I need some support here. So it's a matter of calling on your team. Other times it's a specific kind of stress management tool, a way of reframing your thinking so that you're on track. So I call it the self-care toolkit and it's something we all need to write down. It needs to be there and you can just check in with it. And Stuck on the fridge door? Yes, yes. Visible? On the fridge door, I actually have, I've got a, a journal, that's where I keep mine, but I also have that on my phone, saved as a note. Yeah, anywhere that's within easy reach. And how did you come to all this focus on self-care? Was this through your own journey around this stuff? Do you know what? It's really funny. This self-care is the thing that finally makes sense of my very disparate training. So originally I trained as a psychologist, but when I finished my degree in my early 20s, I knew that I wanted to be working as a coach, but how many people are going to go to a coach in their early 20s who kind of hasn't earned their stripes yet? So... I fell into personal training because that was the part-time job I had going through uni and I worked in that capacity for about seven years and it was a really fruitful business where I learned that I could create amazing change almost by stealth. So it was kind of like therapy by stealth and it was just, that's where I learned the importance of the physical body, not in just in terms of physical health and looking good, but in terms of your mental health and it was amazing how teaching someone to stand tall to even, you know, regain the capacity to run, that was incredibly empowering. And harnessing that skill allowed them to make all sorts of changes in their personal life. And that was, that was quite amazing. And then the yoga came as part of that. But it was really, it was my life experience of motherhood colliding with my dad's terminal illness and my own healing journey there, where that was where I first came across the term self-care. In six years of study of psychology to master's level, I had never heard the term self-care. It was only when I was seeing a counsellor trying to get back on my feet that I came across the term. And really, it's, it's the thing that brings everything together. It's the thing that makes sense that I can work with someone from a health perspective or a movement perspective or yoga or coaching and counselling. And self-care is the thread that brings it all together and it's, it's nourishment. And based on my own life experience, 
self-care was the thing that put me back together. And I know that this works because three and a half years ago, we moved from Sydney to the UK to be with my father-in-law who was in end-stage heart failure. And I was 12 weeks pregnant at the time. And it was just like more crazy variables. And self-care was the thing that helped me stay on my feet. So even though there were so many similarities between the birth of my first child and the birth of my second child in terms of these other huge life events, I weathered it so much better with that different head on my shoulders, knowing that there was nothing selfish about engaging in self-care. I learned that if I don't nourish myself, I'm really not terribly great at nourishing the people in my care. So I've got to do it for them. They need me to keep going. So that's, that's why I'm so passionate about it. And I know this stuff works. I mean, I, I know it works as well. It's been a part of my sort of life and journey and recovery as well, because I think everything comes from a place of self-care or self-love probably first. Yeah. 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 We love ourselves enough Mm. to give ourselves a different choice. And can you talk to that self-care equals selfish formula that I think a lot of mums have in their heads, you know, mums that that I work with and talk to will say, well, I thought, you know, being a mum was about giving everything to yeah my children so what's what's your view and what do you tell your clients about that the mantra that I use is self-care is health care and we've got to be nurturing ourselves so that we are best placed to cope with the inevitable stresses of motherhood and life in general because if you are just scraping by with the status quo of life what are you going to do when the curveball hits whether it's, you know, you're up all night because of a heat wave or someone's ill or even something incredibly positive like moving or scoring a promotion or falling pregnant again. You know, you've got to be nurturing yourself so that you can buffer yourself from these inevitable taxes, okay? But when it comes to the whole selfish business, I think it's kind of we don't see nurturing our physical health as selfish generally, yeah? It's not selfish to brush your teeth. It's all right to have a shower. It's okay to go to the gym, yeah? And I think that's just because we're aware of how important our physical health is. But when it comes to mental health, there's still stigma around emotional, mental health and well-being. So it's kind of breaking down that and realising that it's just as important to nurture yourself emotionally, energetic and mentally as it is to nurture the physical body and making sure that there are practices there that nurture the head, the heart and the body. And when it comes to feeling like it's selfish, like it's taking time away from the kids, Mm. I just think that if you reflect on who it is that you aspire to be as a mum, how can you be that person if you're not kind to yourself, if you're not taking time to replenish yourself? I'm not my best self when I'm running myself ragged. And how does that benefit my kids? It just doesn't. So I have access to my best self when I'm taking little pieces of time out here and there to replenish myself. So there's nothing selfish about that. It's actually in my children's best interest. And so there's a mantra that might be useful there. It's not me first, it's me as well. It's just you're getting a look in as well. That's it. I think it's so important, isn't it, to, you know, something that I'm I'm really aware of with Jessie is that, you know, she is watching what I'm doing. I'm so conscious of it. Yes. You know, and if I'm stressed and running and I'm not eating well and I'm you know overworking or not you know any of these things that I can easily fall into if I don't keep on top of this stuff yeah I think she's watching that 
you know, and I've got a really, um, a really interesting take on this because I had a mum who didn't look after herself, you know, particularly brilliantly. She was definitely one of those mums that forgot about herself and mm-hmm. gave everything to us. And she says to me today, you know, don't do that because I, I then had to learn this, you know, in my early twenties, mm-hmm. how to nourish and look after myself when I had my yeah. challenges because I was never taught it. That's it. So I think, you know, for me, those moments where, you know, I've had strong meditation practice and it does take me out of the day for 40 minutes. Yeah. I do 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night. But I think Jessie's watching me do that. Yeah. You know, you are role modelling for her healthy behaviour. And it's, it's like you wouldn't sit down at the dinner table and give your kids a healthy meal and then you sit and eat the cheeseburger. You've got to show them how to do these things. You've got to live it. They've got to see it happening in the flesh. And if you can actually involve them in your self-care practices, they're learning it. So I have Charlotte doing little yoga breathing techniques to help her get to sleep. She does little yoga poses if she feels anxious or she does journaling or she learns these little affirmations. And it's, it all comes about very naturally because I'm talking about it and I'm doing it. And the thing is, if you want to raise kids that are compassionate and resilient, one, you've got to be engaging in the practices that allow you to be compassionate and resilient and you've got to be teaching them it's a life skill isn't mm. it and this is where my passion comes from because I think you know the next generation are gonna need this stuff yeah and I think that motherhood is such an opportunity you know if you've never thought about self-care or mm. what your triggers might be it's mm. I think it's such an opportunity to look at this Definitely. you know if only because you want to do it for them you know and then a byproduct of course is is the benefits for yourself absolutely and can you talk a little bit around the difference between self-care mm-hmm. and self-indulgence because something okay. that, that I see quite a lot is around you know take a long candlelit bath and, and I'm just interested in your view on when something is maybe indulging us in some of our unhealthy practices and when something is self-care because something that I've learned is that sometimes the self-care thing is the hardest thing yes yeah yeah it's not always the easy option yeah yeah I think it's important that we allow ourselves nice things. We allow ourselves to enjoy nice things. There's a mantra that I use around that, and that is, if I'm going to indulge, then I will savour it. Mm. So you suck the life out of it. You're present. And the thing is, when you savour mindfully like that, if it's, you know, a piece of cake, if you savour it, you may not crave it again as frequently or maybe you don't even need to eat as much and it doesn't then involve a whole knock-on effect of guilt and sometimes when I choose to savor in that way I've actually come up with some kind of compensation for that if I'm if I know I'm going to indulge with a, a night out I'll make sure that there's a chance to go for a run the next day so it's kind of it's balance I think the key concept is is looking after your future self this person that you are becoming and every decision that you in this moment makes creates that future self. So when it comes to indulgence, you ask yourself, how is this affecting the person I'm becoming? And I think it's useful to reflect on, well, who is it in the context of what we're talking about today? Who is it that you want to be as a mum? Does this action take you closer to that person that you aspire to be? Or does it take it away? Does it take you away from that? And how painful is that when you actually have to take a step back from that mum that you aspire to be? Okay, and it comes down to self-care is life-giving. So sometimes indulgence is not life-giving, yeah? So it's just being aware of just that basic definition of it being life-giving, life-affirming and nourishing. 
but it is okay to treat yourself, yeah? You've got to look at what your intention is. What 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 is it that you really want to achieve? I think that's yeah? important, isn't it? It's the energy behind something. Yes. So I know for me, you know, if I'm feeling depleted, I can really go into that sugar craving addiction, yeah. you know, like a whole packet of biscuits. Of course. And the attention, if I'm honest, is sometimes just to numb out in that moment. Yeah. And so I, that's not self-care. That's not self-care. One biscuit savoured or a couple of biscuits savoured with a cup of tea that's self-care eating a whole packet of biscuits that's sabotage yeah yeah that's why we've got to flesh out this self-care toolkit and sometimes i find it's useful to even like frame it in statements if i'm feeling depleted then i will do a particular thing maybe it'll be taking six mountain yoga breaths okay so in that moment instead of me thinking i'm going to reach for the you know the kit kat that i would normally give charlotte at the end of the school day that's her treat you know, she's seven, she'll burn it off in a second, but I'm going to do something else. So it's having that written out. It's almost like a little psychological contract with myself. So in those moments, I've got mm. something, that's what I'll do. Yeah. Or maybe it'll be reading something uplifting or listening to a particular piece of music that gets the happies going, or maybe it's spritz a room spray, mm. something other than the thing that sabotages what I'm trying to achieve so why do we sabotage ourselves because we're human beings <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing you know like you say this the self-care is not always the easy option yeah okay so i've been teaching yoga for 15 years i have an infinite number of sequences in my head that will deliver me something that i need in that moment sometimes do i feel drawn to sitting on the sofa and having a brain fade yeah absolutely because i'm just a normal fallible human being and sometimes our present self is crying out for gratification. And self-care sometimes is delaying that gratification and nurturing the future self. And that can be quite tricky too, but how can we find a balance between me right now in this moment saying, I need something, and giving it something life-giving? That's the thing that then allows me to still become that person that I aspire to be in the future. And what do we do then if we're depleted, we're tired, the kids are crying, we're mm -hmm. trying to hold boundaries, but they're yes. going, you know, mad. Yes. And we sabotage. We do something that, you know, we know is not self-nourishing. For me, that would be picking up my phone and mindlessly scrolling Instagram. Yeah. How do I come back from that? I think it's just mindfulness is key when it comes to most of these strategies. Unless we are aware, mm -hmm. we're going to be on automatic pilot and we can't make changes. So it's just being aware one, it's being aware of who it is that you want to be and taking steps to be that person. But I think compassion has got to be the guiding principle here. You know, we are all normal, fallible human beings. We are not going to be the perfect mum all the time. And I don't, I don't even think there is a perfect mum. So just go gently. Go easy on yourself. But there's no point saying, okay, so if I've just devoured a whole packet of biscuits, I'll start again tomorrow. You start again in the next moment. A day can start again in a minute, in an instant, in a breath. So I think it's a matter of just, you make peace. We make peace with the mistakes that we make. We allow ourselves to be human. I think we like, get back on with it, you know? Yeah, and that compassion is so important, isn't it? And I love that, you know, mm. I can start my day again at any moment. And I'll often do that, just start start again, you that's know, it. in the afternoon or when, you know, something's happened, I'm just going to start it. again. And that's yeah. so freeing, isn't it? I think there's peace. so much peace in that. Yeah. Instead of getting stuck on that train of, you know, done something, yes. beating myself up, yes. you know, and in that space where I'm beating myself up, yeah. I'm only going to make another, you know, unhealthy probably decision. Absolutely. I think we seldom 
enhance our performance and our decision-making by being tough on ourselves, really. I think that's such an important message for mums as well. And, and that's been my experience. Nothing mm. ever good has come from me beating myself up. Yeah. But I see it all the time, especially yeah. with mum guilt. Yeah. Do you know, I think mum guilt, maternal anxiety, I think these things are just, they're ever-present. I really, I really think that. But it's, and the same thing with the inner critic. These are, they're just feelings. They're just thoughts. And from my perspective as a psychologist, I personally find it more helpful to just make space for these things, but just acknowledge that it's just a thought. That's not my identity. This is not necessarily fact and truth. It's just a statement that my brain has created. It's just a feeling somewhere in my body. So instead of giving it all importance, it's just step back, just observe it, witness it. But then ask yourself, well, what's, what's the truth of the matter here? And a lot of the time, underneath my mummy guilt is just a great, huge love. Yeah. That's it. Right, so yeah. every time my guilt pops up, I look at it and I go, wow, that, I just really love my kids and I want the best for them. But I can't be all things to all people all the time. And that's the heart of the matter. I just do my best. I think that's such an important thing to remember as well is that feelings aren't facts. That's right. And I remember when I first heard that, it blew my mind. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's where meditation and mindfulness, as you've been talking about, yeah. are so important on this journey because they enable us and they've enabled me to detach yes. from all those thoughts which are going on all the time. That's right. You know, constantly. <laughs> yeah. And I think being able to detach from those stand back like you say hold that up to the light is yes. that my reality yes. is that not my reality yes and then the self-compassion comes that's in it. I think that little you know process could fundamentally change that's right you know a lot of day-to-day -day joy yeah I think there's another concept in there that's really useful when it comes to dealing with guilt we're all very well versed with this inner critic concept we all know we've everyone has one okay but rather than stamping it out I let my inner critic have its little grumble but I don't necessarily have to take that for the gospel truth mm -hmm. and I don't have to act on it and I don't have to identify with it. I acknowledge that there are other little characters in there. There's the inner child. We know that one too. We've also got an inner cheerleader. And the one that I really love connecting with is my inner elder. Mm -hmm. So in those moments when I'm really feeling challenged as a mum, I tune in with my inner elder and she's always got something really helpful to say, even if it's just, don't worry, sweetheart, of course you feel like this. It'll pass. You know, be kind to yourself. Or maybe sometimes she's got some advice for me. You know, try this. Because generally, when you tap in with that, you tap into some kind of reserve, mm. you know, deep wisdom. Does everyone have an inner elder? Yeah, yeah we do. We've just got to hold the microphone up to them. How, how do we one. do that? If there's a mum struggling, listening to this, thinking, I want some advice from my inner elder. You just imagine it. You imagine it and you'll be surprised. Even just... Being aware of the concept, you imagine what, you know, someone, a kind person in their 60s, 70s, 80s, mm. with that wealth of knowledge, with that life experience, what would they say to you in this moment? It's the same thing as, you know, my 40-year-old self has got some great advice for my teenage self. So you just, you imagine. And I think everyone has that capacity. It's just being aware of it and, and cultivating it and practicing it. It's a skill. What an amazing tool as well, you know, if you're out and about and one of the children's having a hissy fit on the floor. You know, in that moment, what an incredible thing to be able to yeah. access. That's it. And it, it instantly connects me with a feeling of compassion and just being gentle, just being kind to myself. That's how I, I cultivate self-compassion. 
Can you talk a bit more about self-compassion? Because I think I think it's something that is rising in our consciousness, but I hear it less than, you know, self-love or self-care. So how do we access this self-compassion? I think that's a great question. How do we access it? By just extending care and kindness to ourselves. And I think it's so important that we do that because it softens, it opens It gives us space to feel. And I think that's really important because so often we add to our burden by saying, I mustn't feel like this, I shouldn't feel like this, or this shouldn't be happening, or I can't. All of that stuff, it hardens and tenses and it brings the energy down. But compassion is the thing that sort of opens us up and it opens our eyes to different perspectives. And it's the fact is that we're all equal. There's no one that's more special or more important than anyone else, but we need to learn how to extend that to ourselves as well. It's, that's, I think that's the thing that we all... That's, what we, that's really what the world needs, isn't it? Yeah, well, I was just going to say, it's fascinating to me how easy I find being compassionate to others. You know, I'll sob when I see, you know, something like the fire in London recently, yeah. or you know, and yet yeah. I find it harder to extend that same tenderness to myself when I you know when I make a mistake or when I'm in a bad you know any why do we find it easier to do it to others than to ourselves I think it's just culturally you know that's just sort of the the norm isn't it it's we don't want to be seen as soft or indulgent or but in actual fact it's just it's it's a building block to well-being and until we cultivate self-compassion it's going to be a barrier to us nurturing ourselves because there's this feeling of well we're not worthy of it but everyone is you know and self-care is not about saying that you are more special than anyone else it's this is just what everybody needs to do to be the best version of themselves yeah yeah exactly and I I love that idea of being the being the best version of ourselves and the best Mm. you know mums that we can be but not taking that as an invitation for this striving for perfection no it doesn't exist does it no There is no perfect mum. I think it's really helpful to sort of sit down and reflect on what are the qualities that you aspire to possess as a mother and and have an image of that because when you have that image, it's easier to make decisions that are contingent with that. If you haven't fleshed it out, it's just a wishy-washy thing of, well, what's motherhood? You know, what is a good mum? I think that's such an... It's a very personal thing, isn't it? It's such an important exercise to do that. And I did it when I was pregnant on a retreat. What are the things that I want to take from my mum yeah you know and and my you know and her mum and all those amazing qualities that I can pass down onto Jessie you know what are the things that I want to do differently yes what are the things that I want to you know what's the type of mum that I want to be questions to ponder I think it's so important because like you we were talking about previously you know if we don't get conscious I guess or mindful or whatever word works about this Mm. stuff we're just on automatic aren't we yes then we're just either repeating what was done to us or swinging the other way because we're trying to do it so differently. So I think think for me it was really important to hold that vision. Mm. And it's like anything in life. If we don't know what we're aiming for... That's it. If there's no goal, there's no shape, it's really hard to take action that's meaningful. I think that's a really important important thing for for mums to do. And I don't I don't see a lot of mums doing it, actually. No. I mean, there's not a great deal of time, is there? But the fact is that a journaling activity like that, you could just sit down and just jot down ideas for 10 minutes. And that's more life-giving 
than watching, my goodness, what I used to watch when Charlotte was little. She'd have a sleep and I would watch Days of Our Lives and Young and the Restless, which are just toxic for a depressed mind and body. I would have been far better off sitting down and just doing a little journaling. But I, I like those questions that you pose. You know, what are the qualities that you are grateful for from your mum? What are some things that you may consider doing differently? There's another, there's a mantra by, oh, I can't remember. And it is, be the adult you want your kids to be. So it's thinking about who it is that they're turning into. You've got a role model for them. We've talked about that already. But yeah, so you could also say, be the parent you, you wanted your parents to be or continue in their footsteps in the way that they've role modeled for you. It's useful to have those questions though, because if you just sit down and think about well, what, are, what are my values as a mum, where do you start? But those questions I think are a really useful place to start. There's another way of um, getting clear on your values and it's using an online questionnaire. It's called the Values in Action Character Strengths Survey. It's useful, it takes 10 minutes and it will show you what your top five strengths or your virtues are. Mm. And if you look for ways that you can put those strengths to good use, that's when you feel like you're cooking with gas because you're basically doing what it is that you are born to do. So if you look for the, the, the facets of motherhood that allows you to express those things, and that's when you feel powerful as a mum. I think so that's, that's it, isn't it? Way. And then there's something, you know, recognising, you know, maybe um, I'm, I'm not amazing creatively always, but I would love Jessie to have creativity. So yeah. I've thought quite consciously about who could help instill some of these characteristics. You know, yes. I think I think it just it's just such a beautiful practice yes. to mindfully and consciously think about what it is that we're nurturing yes. in our children. And I like, too, that you're identifying, well, what are your strengths... We don't have to be good at everything. Are there other people in the family that can nurture them in that way? Because that's their purpose. That's their way of making a unique contribution. So I think that's really empowering too. Exactly. Imagine if we could take the best bits from everyone in our family and extended family, you know, and yeah. facilitate ex instilling some of those qualities into yeah. our children. What, what a Beautiful gift. Beautiful nurturing. Yeah. What a gift. So um, if there's a mum listening, she's thinking this sounds good great mm -hmm. I'm I'm on board what's the signposts like what's the next steps how might a mum access more of your content or some books that you might recommend okay well most days I put a little bit of inspiration for self-care activities on Instagram so that's a good way of just generating ideas I think it helps to sit down and do a little bit of journaling around the types of self-care that resonate personally for each individual and then jotting down activities so that you've got that self-care toolkit when you need it the most. We've got to be proactive about this stuff. And then the kind of books that I would recommend on positive psychology, which is the study of everything that makes life worth living. So you can see how that's a perfect um, well of inspiration for self-care. The book that I'd recommend there is called The How of Happiness by Sonia Lubomirsky. And I really love it because... It's so practical and there's stacks of information there that gives you an idea of how it is that you can nurture yourself in lots of different ways. When it comes to developing compassion and tenderness, I love that word. That's so beautiful. Tenderness towards yourself and towards others. Um, the book that I'd recommend there is Love 2.0 by Barbara Fredrickson. In it, she talks about how it is that we can get in tune with other people, how we can connect and how we can boost these moments of, of connection with people, which really feeds the soul. So self-care is more than massages and day spas and big, grand, elaborate things. It can be literally meeting someone's eye contact 
and demonstrating mutual care and just sharing space. This is self-care. It could even be just taking an image of something that's happened in your day and sending it to someone that you love saying, I want to share this moment with you and communicating that care. Self-care is that simple. And for people that say they don't have time for it, work with your breath. You're breathing anyway. It doesn't take any extra time. Work with your breath. And in those moments of overwhelm, you know, when you, if you've just taken a wrong step, you know, you've eaten that packet of biscuits, instead of beating yourself up, just soften. Just feel the sensations of your breathing. Let your breath move through you. Maybe use a mantra. Maybe it's, I give myself permission to forgive myself or let go or just be human. You know, these mantras I find, that's how I bring self-care to life. I use mantras all the way through my day so that instead of my mind swirling into unhelpful stuff, I anchor it on something that helps me achieve what I, I need to achieve in that, that moment. Yeah, me too. Yeah. They're, they're an incredible tool, aren't they? Because they're mm. so simple as well. Yeah. Just before we finish up, there's one question that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast, mm -hmm. which is if you could gift one thing to all the mothers in the world, what would you, what would you give them all? Oh, that's big. It's a big question. That's big. And I didn't I tell would... Susie I was going to ask her this. So. I, I would just give the gift of extending nourishment towards yourself. Yeah, that's it. Because we can create incredible change from that. Yeah. So extending the gift of nourishment. And that's really what I feel my personal mission is, is showing people how we can nourish ourselves in simple, easy, inexpensive, effortless ways. It's so doable, but it's opening our eyes up to what constitutes self-care. Yeah. Thank you. That's beautiful. And I'm, and I'm so pleased that you're on this mission. I think, you know, your, your wisdom is incredible and it is so needed. So I can't, I can't wait to hear and see more of you in the future. And thank you so much for, for your time and your wisdom. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's just a great opportunity to be able to talk about these things and get it on the radar. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.